when COVID strikes in general, there are always going to be people who who lose jobs. Yeah. I feel like that's just something we've seen plenty in the U.S. I think the main difference is that a lot of these workers who now don't have jobs are the people who were manufacturing COVID tests, who were, you know, manufacturing masks, which is really just like, it's so different. It's weird. It's like the the people that I feel like we need the most are the ones that no longer have jobs because you know, the country and the government itself does not care about COVID anymore. Yeah, they're going to have to start banging pots and pans at 7 p.m. Yeah. in China. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'm just like, I'm just reading these sentences like, the protesters are throwing boxes of COVID tests at the police. And I'm like, we need that shit. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just like... Welcome to the Politically Asian Podcast, where two Asian-American comedians talking about politics and the Asian-American community in hopes of getting more Asians to talk about politics. We are coming at you live from Brooklyn, New York. My name is Jerry Lim. My pronouns are they, them. And you can find me across the internet at Jerryaki. That's G-E-R-R-I-E-Y-A-K-I. And my co-host... Hey, my name is Aaron Yin. My pronouns are he, him, and you can find me on social media at Aaron Flarin. That's A-A-R-O-N-F-L-A-R-I-N. And before we start today's episode, uh, we have two very special shout outs. So, you know, as you may or may not know, Jerry and I, we do not make money on this podcast. We actually money. We make negative <laughs> money. We lose money. <laughs> so we, we appreciate any donations that you provide through our buy me a coffee link. Uh, you'll see it actually says buy me an Asian pair. Any amount is fine, but we always like to shout them out. What we're going to do is just generate an automatic fortune from this website that creates fortune cookies. And then we will interpret them in a politically Asian style. So our very first donor, uh, and I should mention, we're only doing two per episode to not clog up the entire episode with thank yous. But our first person is actually an anonymous donor. But Spooky. Thank you anyways. Spooky. Yeah, <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. So anonymous donor, your fortune is this. Meeting adversity well is the source of your strength. Ooh. Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, what are your thoughts on this? Um. Okay, well. A politically Asian spin on this, I would interpret this as like, you know, those shitty workplaces. Um, I feel like those are the best places to band together with your coworkers. You know, you have that shared trauma and uh, rise against your oppressors, the managers. Um, so that's that's how I interpreted that. You know, the adversity of a shitty workplace can also be a place to find community, your strength. What do you think? Yo, I was going to say, based on the fact that this person was anonymous, maybe they've had a lot of adversity and that's why they're staying anonymous. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think this is one of those fortunes that I feel like is always like a, a bit of a call to action. It's like, you know, if there is a little bit of a challenge in your life, whether organizational or just maybe a friend or, you know, some little point of uh, friction, this is your you know, call to action to uh, do something about it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> Whenever I see an anonymous donor, I'm always, dude, my first thought for anonymous donors is always very like Bruce Wayne Batman style, you know? Was he, was he an anonymous donor? I feel like he was very like, his name is on everything. Oh, yeah. His public, so I guess. Uh, Wayne is on everything. Wayne is on everything, but he's privately donating to uh, Batman. 
<laughs> like his, I guess his, his you know, the, the suits and the vehicles and everything else. Mm, mm. Yeah, maybe maybe a little bit of a stretch, but that's that's yeah. he gets tax write offs on those donations, so that's how he affords the Batmobile. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just so we're clear, yeah. it's for work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, and moving on to our second donor. This is a, a longtime friend of the podcast, also a fellow Asian podcast. Check them out. They're the they're called the Worst Asian Podcast. Okay, which is uh, which is ironic because that you know they're 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 the best Asians over here. Yeah, <laughs> recognize the support. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So to the Worst Asian Pod, your fortune is as you earn more money, you spend more money. Okay, very relevant. Jerry, what are your thoughts? You know, the politically Asian spin on this, it is the insatiable machine that is capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say the exact same thing. You know, it's 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 how they keep you in. Um, when, when I see this kind of stuff, it, it's always like a, a warning signal. Like, I immediately think about different kinds of... Oh, yeah, okay dangling the carrot in front of you to make you either work mm. longer hours or sacrifice something for the allure of money. Mm -hmm. When I see this kind of thing, I'm like, it's always great to, you know, have a little more money, but also be careful. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's what it also reminded me of. Kind of like that time when I was at my old job and I was like trying really hard to get a promotion and I was like telling you about it. And you asked me like, what would it take? Like how much money would it take to make you happy? Like how much would you have to get in your promotion? to like be happy and i i remember like being like what the fuck am i doing man <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the the juice of capitalism uh, yeah i mean hopefully uh hopefully you know y'all are doing well over there obviously maybe enough to donate but um <laughs> we appreciate it and uh happy i guess happy lunar new year's as well but yeah that kind of wraps everything up this is what we do for everyone who donates any amount just the politically asian fortunes we'll just do two per episode so we got to quite a list to go through so rest assured you will hear your name on an eventual episode yeah keep it coming please yeah. <laughs> we'll take yeah. anything we'll like take we anything. said <laughs> yeah it's it's really funny because right now it is lunar new year's but truly the only red that we're seeing is is the red of our debt our accounting all right well let's keep it moving we're gonna go into our practice what you preach segment so if this is your first time listening to the pod you know we talk a lot about politics but it's also important to do things so each week we share one thing we did related to politics and organizing and uh this week i will go first so last week i went out to anakbayan queens um and I went to their educational discussion on youth and student power. It was facilitated by our lovely pod pal, uh, Decolonial Bulaklak, a.k.a. Aina. Shout out. Hey, uh, Aina. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we discussed some youth and student movements. And yeah, it was it was a great time. Cool. Yeah. OK, so when you say youth and student movements, was it uh, I, I guess geographically, was it a like a, a New York thing, a U.S. thing, a global thing. Philippines thing. Philippines oh, Philippines. Thing. Oh, okay, specifically yeah, yeah. for the Philippines. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Wait, can you also tell me a little bit more about the organization? The, yeah. Uh, Anakbayan? Yeah, so <laughs> Anakbayan uh, translates to Children of the People. And I think what's really cool about it is, um, or at least what's important to me, is that Anakbayan is a leftist organization um, that was founded in the Philippines. It's not, it was not like 
Filipino Americans who founded it mm. in the States. It's founded in the Philippines. And for me, that's really important because it's easy to sometimes think, oh, you know, Asia, Catholic, conservative, that kind of thing. Um, or it's easy to think like leftist ideals or Western. That's a, you know, that's a Western thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the truth is that we have that, too. We have, <laughs> um, you know, we, we have that in the Philippines and back in the homeland, too. Um, and it reminds me of the zine at um, All Power Books. They sell a zine called um, Red's Not White. And I feel like this encapsulates it perfectly. Mm, um, yeah, not so just yeah. white people. That's cool. Yeah. You know, I mean, th it seems like there's, um, this was a few months ago at this point when uh, it was like Marcos Jr. came to the U.S. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I feel yeah. like there's a, you know, a lot of right material to talk about. I'm sure that he will come to the U.S. again and that the whole U.S., you know, Philippines thing is only going to, you know, yeah. be more strengthened from now given their first meeting. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that that's really about it. Uh, what about you? So I, I did a little bit of work with the group I'm with, uh, Youth Against Displacement. We had our very first, I guess it was like a music and poetry night. Mm -hmm. um, it happened yesterday, Thursday night at the People's Forum. Oh, I um, saw flyers for that. Yeah, yeah. It was cool. Um, I mean, I'm I'm still in, in uh, Massachusetts right now helping with some family stuff, but just mainly helped a little bit with the socials. Uh, we had like 115 ticket sales. Oh. Very cool. A lot of that money is basically you being used to for different anti you know displacement fights. There's mm -hmm. you know two mega towers on the Lower East Side and two bridges. Stuff gone with Chinatown and the Mega Jail and Mocha, but it, it was cool to you know bring a lot of people in. My hope is that these people will stay involved and be pretty motivated to join the fight and not just be like, oh yeah, this was a fun artsy night. And we're donating to a good cause, and then I'm back to my, you know, usual, usual day-to-day -day routine. So the people in the audience, what was it like? Primarily, folks that you weren't used to seeing in the space, or like who don't look like organizers, that kind of thing. Oh, I, I, yeah. I mean, I only saw videos, and right. I mean, they just look like normal, you know, normal people, like normies. <laughs> normies, yeah. I mean, I asked people like, were there people that you recognize? And say, they said, you know, no, not really. So I guess oh, it's good okay. in that it's a new crowd, but also it's like. You know, in the future, maybe if we're trying to, you know, fundraise and involve community, maybe not a music and poetry night. Because mm. it is cool to bring in people and, yeah, we get ticket sales, but it's also not like the kind of people who might become Stick engaged. Stick around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like money is cool, but we also, people showing up in real life is more important or just as important. It sounds like the artsy version of a march. You know, like yeah, how we yeah. talk about with marches on here, like, oh, it's I show up one time with a sign and that's it. Yeah. Um, that, wait, that's that's a that's a spot on comparison. Um, yeah. So now it's like, oh, I go to this show and my ticket money goes to uh, these communities. I've done my job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a very easy pat on the back. So, again, it's too early to say right now, but that's something that we'll kind of look into in the following weeks. OK, cool. Well, keep us updated. Yeah. All right. Well, in the meantime, we're going to get to the meat of our episode. So this week in Asian American news, the K-pop boy band Omega X announced a lawsuit victory against their label. Wow. OK, so some context. In October, this K-pop group filed a lawsuit against an executive from their management agency because she pushed a member to the ground. And this lawsuit alleged that there was a year long pattern of verbal, physical and even sexual abuse. And if they won, the 11 members of the group would be freed from their contracts. Aaron, let's let's start there. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I thought this was a great story. Just talking about the 
maybe the the darker side of k-pop you know k-pop you know obviously it's making huge waves here and everyone's super obsessed and you know if you say one bad thing about bts you got the entire army like harassing you online so <laughs> that <laughs> that's was my... so true that's so... one time we posted an infographic about like bts coming to speak to joe biden and like we said it in a way that it was like sarcasm and people still like were up in our comments mad one time i made this tweet that was like the tweet was the beatles you mean caucasian bts and <laughs> in my dms i had tons tons of bts people being saying please take this tweet down it is harming bts for no reason i'm like okay what i, I was like this truly okay so that that's just kind of laying the ground for a previous k-pop exposure and the maybe more dark sides of it related to harassment but this is also an example i was i guess one thing to start with is that i didn't know this but in korea there are many boot camps many k-pop boot camps and they have to pay a lot of money up front and then after they become a star they have to pay all that debt back would you rather have that or would you have an open mic system (laughs) (laughs) open mic grind system i would rather the the k-pop mics but yeah i think um and I mentioned that just because like it's it's often hard for K-pop members to to speak out against this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Like they're already pretty deep in debt, pretty deep in these contracts that they sign. Honestly, when some of them were were minors or like just turned 18. So, yeah, they, they had videos of their director, uh, Kang Seung Hee, pushing different members on the ground after their show. I'm like, yo, what the what the fuck? Yeah, it sounded really bad, but I do want to highlight what I think is cool is um, they started an Instagram account without permission from their agency, which apparently they're not allowed to do that, but they did it. And they started just like posting all like the evidence that they had that it was like their way to communicate with with their fans and supporters. And I thought that was really cool. Just like obviously it's not a union and I'm not familiar with Korean labor laws, but like it did feel very union-esque in that it was like the 11 of them kind of had to band together. And like if one of them was like, work, I want to like sue they all had to be in it together because otherwise there was. An, I don't think it would have worked otherwise. Yeah, the 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 true band was the lawsuit we filed on the way. <laughs> Something. <like that. laughs> yeah, but I think that also just shows how strict it is, right? Like, oh, you're just making an Instagram account for your group, and that's already like a huge, huge step, right? I mean, I don't really have any analogy for this. Like, my my only point of reference, I guess, here in the U.S. was like the whole movement for Britney Spears, you know, like free Britney. And I was just oh, like, yo, yeah. yo, free K-pop, man. We got a <laughs> free Omega X. That's you. You must have you must have not been a Disney like a Disney watcher, because like if this it I don't know like how bad it is, but it sounds pretty similar to like what Disney stars went through. And that's you know, that's why they say a lot of the Disney stars kind of like act out um, oh, later yeah. in life is because yeah. like when they were contracted under Disney, it was very strict rules, like who you could date things like that so i i imagine it's similar if not worse for k-pop bands yeah in that article they also talked about several other uh, k-pop groups uh, there was one former group called crayon pop who they had to go on diets they were prohibited from socializing with anyone without the agency's permission and they didn't earn any money like no salary for like almost two years I imagine it's very easy to control what someone eats when you're not 
also paying them. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. But yeah, truly like, you know, we talked before about the K-pop Broadway play closing. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I wish, you know, they had included this kind of stuff in there. This is so like, it, it's so different than the glamorous K-pop image that we get from day to day. Yeah, I thought what was wild was like that article mentioned uh, TVXQ. Some people might know them as DBSK. I know them because I listened to them in college. Um, <laughs> and it was really cool to me. I don't know if they were the first band to do this, but they they sang in both Mandarin and Korean. Oh, okay. Um, and I thought they were so cool. Um, I remember really liking their music and then like suddenly they just like <laughs> it really felt like they just disappeared and I always wondered what happened to them and this article is how I found out like they were blacklisted from TV because like they spoke out against like they they like ended their contract or something with SM Entertainment which is like one of the bigger agencies mm. um, and so SM like blacklisted them from TV and their like Korea's antitrust regulators had to step in to like save these guys. Damn, I feel like that's just like another sign that it's really, really hard to speak up, you know? Yeah. There's like precedent where you're being shut down. So, I mean, props to them. Like, I don't want to hype this too much as like uh, everyone who sues will always win because I feel like, you know, with every one K-pop group that makes it, there are maybe like five others that didn't right. and were silenced. But um, yeah, cool to at least see this profile on this one group that did win against their agency, uh, Spire Entertainment. Yeah, it has enough drama to be its own, like, K-drama. K-drama, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to the next topic. So we're going to New York City, and we're specifically covering Rikers Island. So there was this one article in the Gothamist titled, Rikers Island is supposed to close in 2027. So why is Mayor Adams talking about Plan B? So for some context... You know, Rikers Island is this gigantic, like multiple football field sized prison on an island uh, in New York City. And it is really, really bad in terms of its conditions. There's a very long Wikipedia page on it. Like, you know, think like no working toilets, you know, inmates basically shitting themselves all the time, rats, you know, tons of COVID, you know, lots of attacks on a fellow inmates guards it's just like really 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 bad and so new york city mayors have been trying to close this prison for a very long time the latest plan has been to split rikers into four slightly smaller jails and put them all throughout new york city and there's a lot of controversy and tie-in to asian stuff because one of those jails is supposed to be in manhattan's chinatown um, which is also the reason why you know, I pick it every week in front of the Museum of Chinese in America because they got it's a lot of money. Here. It's why we're here. But <laughs> now the problem is that Mayor Adams is saying, oh, JK, I don't know if I want to close Rikers, but I still want these other jails. So that's where we're at right now. Jerry, what are your thoughts on this whole situation? Bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, the more I learn about Mayor Eric Adams, the more, like, I just, I... It frustrates me. I can't believe I'm wishing for de Blasio. Like, what? What is life? Of course he doesn't care or he's not trying. He's a former cop. He's trying to keep <laughs> his buddies employed, you know? Like, I, he's arresting people, like, left and right. So he's trying to figure out, like, where to put them. So he's not figuring out, like, how to how to lessen the population. He's, he's 
I, I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? No, I hear it. Never trust a cop, okay? Like, during his whole election thing, Eric Adams was in Chinatown like, oh, yeah, I'm going to close this jail. We're not putting a jail in Chinatown. And now there's, you know, like, the, the whole jail in Chinatown thing is still ongoing. Picket line in front of Mocha for accepting jail money, still going. But it's like, never trust a cop, that even a former cop. Um <laughs> I guess, like, the most alarming thing is that, like, the whole idea for closing Rikers is to put people in smaller jails, save some costs, like, have the jails closer to the courtrooms and everything else. But the issue is that, like, the amount of people being jailed in New York City is faster, is is a lot more than the amount of people that these jails can hold. So to put some numbers to it, New York City estimates that by next year, 2024, we're going to have over 7,000 people in jail. But these four slightly smaller jails can only hold about 3,000 people. So <laughs> where are the remaining 4,000 going to go? Staten Island. Staten Island. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of the worst uh, math problems. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's like the issue. It's just that the reason why he's considering plan B is because he's realizing that if we close Rikers, we won't have enough space. So so I feel like this, the path that the city's going on is just continuously building more jails. Yeah, and it's just like, where are you going to put those, man? Although I did see, I, when I was reading, skimming that, really skimming that article, they were like, yeah, put a jail in Westchester. And I was like, mm, I don't know if I'm opposed to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, I, I guess, like, even among people with jail, you know, obviously, like, I think the, you know, abolitionists are saying, like, you know, no jail. We should stop trying to just stuff people into cells and assume yeah. that makes people better. We should explore alternatives the the position that's maybe slightly to the right of that is okay we'll still take a jail but don't put it in like chinatown or somewhere else put it in like upper west side put it in westchester (laughs) put it somewhere where all like the rich white people are which i'm like funny it's a funnier idea i'm like (laughs) (laughs) it's spicy i like it oh so you want a new jail okay we'll put it in the rich neighborhoods (laughs) yeah yeah exactly but yeah that's that's basically where we're at right now i I know in New York City, there was this whole movement that was like very, very pro jail in Chinatown, pro jail everywhere else, because they were really focused on closing Rikers. They're like, sure. it's like, that's like the hill that they're going to die on. And I'm like, yo, you better be really upset about this because Mayor is now, as you can see, Eric Adams is not only not closing Rikers, but he's just making more jails. So more oh. people are going to be subject to pretty terrible conditions. Right. So two steps backwards, actually. I don't know. I don't even know what you would do with like all those people, though. I, I mean, for starters, he could change the policies where he's like arresting folks left and right. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, start with that. Yeah, but, like, we'll start there. <laughs> it's just like stop. Maybe stop cutting funding to everything. Like, what I need to know is like when we when we give money to the cops, does that also go to like new jails? Because I feel like am I under is that separate? <laughs> I honestly have no idea. I mean, it's it's definitely government money. Because, like, know, like the NYPD has a budget of $10 billion a year. You're telling me you couldn't fix up a jail with $10 billion? Then, yeah, yeah. that's a lost cause. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't get it. The math ain't mathing. The math really is not mathing. Like, you know, just keep in mind the whole... There are 4,000 people that won't have any jail. So it's like, you, you, we can't keep just building more jails. Then New York City is just literally, New York City will literally be more of a concrete jungle if we just have jails. <laughs> hey, if you're still listening to this podcast, please consider pausing and giving us a five-star review on whatever app you're listening on, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I don't think anyone else does it. 
Uh, if you really like the episode, consider donating to our Buy Me a Coffee. It's a one-time payment of an amount you choose, and we'll take literally anything. You can go to our website or head over to buymeacoffee.com slash politicalasian. We're so broke, we couldn't even buy a longer URL with our proper name. Thanks, and now back to the episode. Cool. All right. Well, that's an unpleasant topic. So moving on from there to another unpleasant topic, talking about China news. So China's abrupt reversal of zero COVID restrictions has kind of led to a lot of consequences. I don't really think they're ready for. For starters, uh, pandemic workers have been demanding wages and jobs because the U-turn from COVID has left COVID supplies in like a windfall, which leads to layoffs and pay cuts for their workers. And this is exacerbated because it's Lunar New Year. So Lunar New Year is putting extra pressure on the lack of money. And uh, even companies are reporting like that they were paying workers through government COVID payouts, but now the government is late on the payments. So it's just a bad chain of events. Let's start there. Aaron, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think I mean, I feel like when, when COVID strikes in general, there are always going to be people who who lose jobs. Yeah, I feel like that's I feel like that's just something we've seen plenty in the U.S. I think the main difference is that a lot of these workers who now don't have jobs are the people who were manufacturing COVID tests, who were you know manufacturing masks, which is really just like it's so different. It's weird. It's like the the people that I feel like we need the most are the ones that no longer have jobs because you know the country and the government itself does not care about COVID anymore. Yeah, they're gonna have to start banging pots and pans at seven p.m. Yeah. in China. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm just like, it's, yeah, it's really weird. Like, they're the, I'm just reading these sentences. Like, the protesters are throwing boxes of COVID tests at the police. And I'm like, we need that shit. I'm like, like, what kind of, you know, what? It's, it's like when you said a few episodes ago, it's like, you know, you hate to see another country be stupid. I'm like, (laughs) what is happening right now? Like, I was talking with my partner about this and like, they're like, maybe China's doing this as some form of like population control for elderly people. Maybe that's why they, they <gasps> oh don't. Oh my god! Give us- I mean, like, it's really weird, right? Like, everyone in my family, you know, they're they are like, yeah, we don't really know what China's doing right now. Like, everyone's just a lot of people are dying right now. Um, given the huge reversal from like co- zero COVID to just like good luck, right? <laughs> Fingers crossed, good luck, yellow, like that kind of thing. <laughs> good so luck, it's, COVID. <laughs> yeah, it's like. It's it's just so like if this was a gradual layout, I feel like maybe fewer people would have lost jobs at once. That could have just been a very gradual transition and this wouldn't have have happened. And my hot take is like the whole sudden reversal of uh, zero covid is like it's it's like I don't know if your parents are like this, but um, my my parents are like this um, where if if like I just keep pushing on something like that, I'll just be like, fine, fucking do it then and see what happens, you know? And <laughs> yeah. like that's the energy I'm getting from yeah. the government. It's like, fine, we're we're fine, no no more COVID. Fine. We don't we don't give a fuck about these restrictions. Fine. Yeah. See what happens. These vaccines won't work. You know, it's like very much of that energy. Yeah, it's it's very much like a like a strict I mean, I don't know if it's like a strict parent or it's like an an annoyed parent, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, you know what? Fuck around, find out. Okay, like <laughs> Like oh, yeah, they're finding out. You'll they'll find out. You'll you'll come crawling back and waiting for COVID. maybe that's the play. It's like, oh, then you'll be begging for zero COVID. Well, you know, I hope this doesn't bite us, America, in the ass, because like 
we still have COVID. Like people are still using COVID tests and you yeah. know, you have to constantly change out. I mean, you should be constantly changing out your masks. I don't I don't know about you, but <laughs> mine gets mine gets stanky after a while. So um I I hope that like prices won't go up or anything like that. I'm kinda worried because I feel like you and I are very COVID conscious people. Yeah, um, dude, we're gonna have to start using the same nasal swab. Like, mm -mm. <laughs> like that's, I was gonna. Mm -mm. <laughs> bro, they're literally throwing the test as like a brick. I'm like, bro, like, that thing first of all probably weighs like one pound max. Like it's it's not even an effective like you know deter like a weapon. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, it's it's bad. Yeah. I mean, I mean, COVID is it's the the China COVID situation. It's also expanding outwards. So the other piece that we wanted to touch on is just how other East Asian countries are responding. So in short, both Japan and South Korea have both been implementing restrictions to Chinese tourists. Uh, South Korea is at the center of a discrimination claim because they've been asking everyone from China to present negative COVID tests. Uh, a lot of Chinese passengers are saying, oh, the whole process was really strict, that we were guarded the entire time. Uh, you know, even though like only 5% of travelers tested positive in Korea, everyone's being asked to do this thing. And so they're, they're kind of saying it's like, I feel like they're just saying it's racist, but, you know, towards Chinese people. <laughs> what, are you doing? what are your thoughts? Well, as Asian folks may know, there's <laughs> Asians hate other Asians. <laughs> and I know the non-Asians are just standing there like, what's the problem? Y'all are all chinks and gooks to me. Yeah. You know, like it's <laughs> y'all are all the same. Um, I personally would hesitate in calling it discrimination. I don't know. Like I hear I agree with you. Like it feels like it's it's I almost want to say it is kind of founded though, right? Like if I were reading the articles and the stories of stuff coming out of China right now in regards to COVID, I would kind of be like, yeah, I think, I think we should just, you know, be a little wary just because like we've, we're, we accepted the American vaccines. I don't know. I don't know. That's just <laughs> me. Um, but I also, I also can see where China is coming from because no one said fucking no to America. I don't think it, over the course of like the past three years, there was ever anything about like, Oh, watch out for the Americans coming into your country because they they have like really high amounts of COVID. Yeah, I think in this case, like, you know, obviously, like, yeah, where there's a huge spike in COVID, obviously, like the first instinct is let's just apply a heavier standard for them. But it's like, I think in this case, you should just apply it across the board because like, because, for example, you know, a few weeks ago, we were talking about how New York City now has enough new COVID people to where we have our own variant. Nice. Right. Yeah. And and locally it made really big news, but it's like, you know, is South Korea applying the same thing for the New York City spike? Like mm. I, I just feel like That's fair. You know, That's if, fair. If you want to be strict or just be strict across, like China's also like a huge country. You know, I'm sure there are some places that are more heavily impacted than others. Um but yeah, I feel like with this kind of thing, when you just hyper focus on one country, it just creates unnecessary beef. Even though the and, and the overall goal is public health, I feel like it's just a safer bet to just do it across the board. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That I I revise my stance. I will say, <laughs> I will say though that I think I think what it is is also like I remember reading about um, in Japan they they're hurting pretty badly because they don't have they haven't had tourism for a long time. Like they didn't let mm. people in for a long time. So I I probably 
would guess that they're just barring China and then they're going to let everyone else, even if like, you know, the European Union has like, if I don't know what the COVID rates are like there, but like they need white people money, right? Like they need (laughs) tourism money. Um, So they're not going to, they figure like if they can just cut it off from one country, they can still accept it from the other 190, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It, it all just feels like some kind of probability. You know, you're kind of, I wouldn't say gambling, but you're kind of just doing some risk analysis on like, who who can I get the most money from and the least COVID from? Yeah. Like some, something like that is going on. But it, it's, it, you know, in real life at the airport, it just sounds bad. Like I'm um, just seeing, uh, you know, in the same article we were reading that many Chinese tourists were being tagged with yellow cards when they arrived in South Korea. And I'm like, Okay, that's a little too on the nose, man. Like, yeah. like, yellow, like you know, bro, like yellow cards. I'm like, okay, it's you know, like yellow cards that indicate that they were from China. Yeah, I'm like, bro, come on, like, bro, I mean, is, is this soccer? Like, what's happening? Like, every, everybody should get a yellow card then. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm just like, oh, come on, guys. This is it's 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 uh, it's like tagging produce or something at this point. That that's the kind of the, the feeling I was getting. The vibes, yeah, yeah. And and obviously in response, China's retaliating by like not approving some like visa things for uh, people in South Korea and Japan. So I feel like it's just creating a lot of unnecessary beef. Yeah, like, that's this, that's this... a that's a really good phrase for it. Unnecessary beef. That's yeah. that's how it feels. Like y'all are just give your people healthcare. Like focus on other things. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to our next issue. The New York Times wrote a report about how restaurant workers help pay for lobbying to keep their wages low. So when you work in the service industry, you have to pay $15 or so to take an online class in food safety. Typically, this class is offered by a company called ServeSafe, which turns out to be a fundraising arm of the National Restaurant Association. Um, This association has spent decades fighting increases to minimum wage, uh, keeping sub-minimum wage to paid worker, or sorry, sub-minimum wage paid to tipped workers, and uh yeah overall just bad aaron what are your thoughts on this yeah i'm gonna start actually with the headline you know part of the reason why i never like the new york times is because whenever they cover labor issues there's always something a little off and like when i read this headline how restaurant workers help pay for lobbying to keep their wages low it sounds like restaurant workers are doing this with intention Mm. like they're like oh yeah let me pay this lobbyist to help keep my wages low and i'm like no the real the, the real title should be it's like how lobbyists are like, you know, tricking or exploiting the workers into uh, keeping their own wages low. You know, it's just like this weird like shift of like who's active and who's passive. Not um, not to defend the times, but it also might just be like a legal thing, right? Like it, uh, it, mm. the NR, the National Restaurant Association might be like, we're suing you guys because that's uh, defamation, uh, whatever. I see. Yeah, I mean, the National Restaurant Association is now the second NRA that I don't like. like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have that written down, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I'll start by saying this. You know, I've um, you know, I've worked quite a few restaurant jobs. I've had to take this thing twice because oh. this serve safe thing expires in like two or three, three years. years. I so, yeah. I mean, I do think it's a, a general good thing to know about. I mean, most of it's common sense, but I think some things are worth repeating, mainly like don't keep dishwashing chemicals and just like any chemicals next to your food. A lot of people keep food next to the sink right next to where their like soap mm. is. And okay. I, whenever I see that, I'm like, yo, this is this is not good. Like, 
And then the other main one is like always putting like raw meats next to like, you know, veggies. So it's like the chance of contamination is, you know, a little higher. Keep them on separate shelves. So, so nice stuff. But I do hate the fact that essentially we were funding groups that work against minimum wage for restaurants, uh, restaurant workers. Yeah. Some top tier evil shit right there. That's like S tier evil shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like um a line that like really sums that up in the article was like labor unwittingly helps to pay for management's lobbying yeah like, that's oh that's evil yeah that's evil. it's i mean i guess i mean to some degree it's like all of you know even you and i's like taxpayer money is being used to like oppress people you know like, we, like okay we damn I mean, I'm like, I'm just <laughs> saying. Like, said not to pay taxes because they're using they're being used to drone strike <laughs> I mean, yeah, that or like, you know, New York, New York City jails and NYPD, like, like it's happening. Yeah, like. OK, OK. But just to be fair, because that's that's I feel like that's some that could sound like some Republican logic, right? Like, oh, I don't have to pay taxes because uh, they go into infrastructure and public schools, too. OK, yeah. OK. Taxes yeah. also go to good things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just we as taxpayers at the moment don't have the ability to decide where our taxes go. Yeah. And, and I, th- I know there's some arguments for like, you know, I feel like. Yeah, there's like pretty nuanced arguments for whether we should or should be able to do that, but that's just the way things are right now. Um, one thing I did want to point out is that this issue of not wanting to pay restaurant workers more, it spans across party lines. So even during you know Clinton's era, Obama's era, also I guess Trump's era, the NRA was a major force for limiting their benefits i know in 2021 you know we were trying to raise the federal minimum wage to 15 dollars, and mm-hmm. um they had a lot of opposition to squash that which i think is the reason why it's not happening now right oh, okay. i remember i remember something when like it was like i used to see like signs uh of mcdonald's workers with like 15 dollars mcdonald's yeah. workers that kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. I, I remember that part of the bill got squashed i don't I need to double check this. I think it might have still gotten passed through something separate, but I remember at the time it was part of maybe Biden's like overall build back better bill. Like there were so many things in there. I think this was one of the things that got squashed. Cool. But, but it's like, yeah, I mean, to me, it's like when I see it, it's like, yeah, you assembled Democrats and Republicans to fight against raising minimum wage for restaurant workers. That's, and it's, it's all being funded through like partially through serve safe classes. I'm like, fuck me, man. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I always think about like what Chris Smalls, like the Amazon union organizer said, right? Like he organized his union with like Trump voters and Democrats. So I, yeah, I, I, it's a party blind. What is, what is the right way to say that? Bipartisan? Bipartisan? Yeah. Yeah. No no (laughs) partisan? I don't know. Yeah. Equal opportunity uh, oppressor. Equal opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. E-O-O. The the other thing I thought that was interesting was that the uh, National Restaurant Association, I keep, I'm going to say the full name because I want to get confused with the rifle one. Um, It's a type of nonprofit, which I thought was interesting because we talk a lot about the nonprofit industrial complex. And there's specifically a nonprofit called a business league, which has more freedom to lobby and they're allowed to run a for-profit business as long as it quote advances the common interest of the their broader trade aka like the service and food industry um that's vague as fuck (laughs) (laughs) and also very confused how lowering their pay improves the broader you know progress of the restaurant industry 
Oh, you know what they say. They always say like, oh, it keeps costs down for restaurant yeah, owners. True, blah, true. Blah, blah. Yeah, it keeps costs down. Yeah, yeah. That's very true. But yeah, I mean, I I mean, now I know that, you know, if if I ever have to work at a like a restaurant or a food thing to not use SurfSafe for their online class, like it's Yeah. There are there alternatives. Which, yeah, there are alternatives which is good. And honestly, if you had to take away two things, it's just number one, keep your chemicals away from your food. Like, <laughs> Don't spit in the food. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought it was straightforward, but like sometimes people will just like clean the kitchen counter with a spray while there's like food kind of nearby. And I'm like, yo, mm. even some tiny particles of that spray could get on the food and then it's a lot, you know, like, <laughs> so it's just like small things like <laughs> Don't that. Don't flush with the toilet seat open. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just remember that. Keep the raw meats and veggies separate and, you know, just know mold is bad. I think <laughs> top three <laughs> things that you learn from the books. <laughs> Dude, because sometimes they're like, oh, this, like, it, it's a lot of it really is simple. It's like, oh, you have this box of, you know, carton of eggs. It says expired on this date. Should you still eat it or can you keep it for a few more days? And you just always go with the safest answer. Like, no, don't feed the customer any of this shit. Just throw it away. Yeah. Which is which is kind of, I won't say opposite in real life, but like in real life, you don't always have to listen to the expiration dates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Life tip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think from a restaurant perspective, they're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. just yeah, be yeah. the That's most conservative. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go into our last topic. So we're talking about something that's been kind of buzzing mainly among undergrads and schools at, uh, but also other places, but it's chat GPT. So for anyone who doesn't know chat GPT, I would describe it as this AI. It's like a, it's like, it's a website that you go to and you can ask this AI to write anything you want. So before I've asked to like write stand-up jokes, I've asked it to Stop, write. Really? Yeah, yeah. I've asked it to write. <laughs> a story about Asian American diaspora and like feeling caught between two worlds. And- <gasps> Stop. Wait, why yeah. didn't you tell me this? We should publish this. What no, the it- fuck? People did it somewhere on Twitter. And the thing about this AI is it's like really good. Like it's really yeah. hard to tell that a robot wrote this. It's like really, really good. And um, a-, a lot of students in undergrad are using this and it's freaking out teachers but a lot of a lot of people also use this for job applications now it's like what are your strengths and weaknesses i'm just going <laughs> to ask chat gpt to say like write me a paragraph about my strengths and weaknesses for this specific job and throw in these words and it will do it it's really impressive jerry what are your thoughts um so i haven't had a chance to use it because uh chat gpt is currently at capacity uh, oh. but, but from what i've seen I'm I'm a little scared. Um, my friends have told me that it's a good thing I'm not in college anymore because in college I had a business where I would write essays for other people. I was a chat GB, GBT, yeah. um, actually, <laughs> um, and I would be broke. I would be out of cu- uh, customers. So that makes true, me true. a little sad. You were uh, the the G stood for Jerry back then, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> chat yeah, yeah. Jerry, chat Jerry, uh, part time, part time essay area. Yeah, there you <laughs> yeah, go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess going back to the earlier thing. So, Chat GPT, as of right now, it doesn't write good stand up jokes. Like when I asked it to write jokes, oh, okay. it write it writes like knock knock jokes right now, which is oh, not bad. Okay, um, but actual essays and analysis is um really good and one of the articles that we have just uh talks about how a lot of universities are revamping how they teach because college students are using it they're they're like they're like asking for like handwritten essays 
they're asking for students to write the the essay in class only and and all this other stuff. Um, how do you feel about that kind of thing? Um, I kind of like it. I don't want to read a Midsummer's Night Dream anymore. So like, you know, I think it challenges teachers and professors to like uh, pick stuff that's not so common, which is which I think is good. Yeah. Um, but it makes a hard job already harder, which is not so great. Um, yeah, what do you think? Do you think you'd survive college if we, if we, you know, your professor changed it up on you? Honestly, yeah. Uh, I feel like it's it might be a little easier, right? Because like in, in st- you, yeah, like in college, normally you have to spend so much time outside of class on these essays. And right now, at least some some colleges are saying like, no, you just write it in class, so everyone has oh. the same exact amount of time. I also feel like, you know, like I, I personally am not that scared because I feel like what it's doing is just like, le- you know, lifting up the baseline for everyone. Okay. So it's like, I'm like, I never knew how to write essays this well, but like now I see how ChatGPT does it. I'm like, oh, that's cool for me to know. Um, oh, that's interesting. I kind of see it like, like I know in, ch- I've been watching a lot of online chess. Um, <laughs> Why? <laughs> Bro, I, I, do, I, I just watched, um, do you know Hikaru? Okay, anyway. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Hikaru no go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I watch, um, but I've been watching a lot of chess and, you know, a lot of chess players, they use chess.com and the AI to see how to play better. Yeah. And, and they're getting better. I feel like the same thing could happen just for like essays and job applications. Like you learn how to write better by seeing what an AI can do. Oh, well, that, that makes sense, right? Like a a, a chat bot like ChatGPT is like trained on like certain models, right? Like they feed it a shit ton of essays, a shit yeah. ton of like language models. So yeah. it like breaks down like the best best ones and like goes from there. So I, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to be like the next blockchain craze. Like, do you remember like when when blockchain and like crypto were like first coming out? It felt like there were like 300 companies every day that was like, pumping out like some crypto or blockchain idea yeah i feel like the only difference is that this is being made from open ai which i think uh-huh. is like a, a non-profit so like they're not selling like they're offering this thing for free first of all like to use for now yeah for now for now that's true for now and i would say the only difference between this and blockchain is that this is a lot easier to understand up front yes yeah, <laughs> up, like, up front for sure. Yeah, yeah. Blockchain. Oh my god, damn! I had to hear the same explanation like twenty times. I'm like, ah, okay, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> this I'm like, you tie a bunch of bricks together. What's yeah, there to know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Blockchain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited. Like, I think it's pretty fun. I can I can share my login with you after this. I, I really think okay, it's, great. It's fun to just like you can ask it to do anything. Like, ask it to write. A story about like a fish that wanted to ride a bicycle but it never had the legs to do so it's going to come up with a story to do that i'm like that's that's what i'm really impressed by like like how how evolved it is chat gbt will be making our memes from now yeah. on <laughs> yo yo i'm like actually though i did ask it at one point to write a joke about asian people and it, it doesn't do that it, it there's some restriction it on writing filters. about like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like writing about like race religion gender uh which is good. I guess chat GPT will not like say a slur for now. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yay. Yeah. Well, that is actually a big problem, but you know, I, I think, I think that's a, a good place to end the episode on, on a chat bot, not being able to use slurs. Um, yep. <laughs> so much for freedom of speech. <laughs> 
Um, that's it for this episode. If you could give us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, it's free and it literally takes just a second. You could probably finish it before I'm done closing up the episode. Uh, otherwise, you can follow us on Instagram at Politically Asian Podcast, on Twitter at Politic Asian Pod, or, you know, if you really enjoyed the podcast or this episode, send us some money on buymeacoffee.com slash political Asian. Um, that's it. And until next time, bye. bye. Nice.